Thought-provoking? No question. Informative? You bet. This is Talk of the Town on News Talk 1290 CJBK. Footprint Center, Wednesday at this particular time. Next Wednesday at this particular time, both of my guests will be drunk under a Christmas tree somewhere. <laughs> I, have, I have no doubt. Bob Metz and uh, Jeff Schlemmer are with us. Nice to see you guys. And you. Thanks, Jim. You won't really be drunk under the Christmas tree. At least not till not noon. Not in the morning, anyway. Yeah, not till <laughs> noon. Um, I, I'm glad you guys are here this week, you guys in particular, because uh, I'm particularly curious to know what you gentlemen make of this controversy about David Hennecke. He's the uh, First Nations guy in Saskatchewan who made the derogatory remarks about the Jews. Some very uh, inflammatory remarks, very hateful remarks, uh, and then there's this gigantic outcry. Um, he's being investigated by the RCMP to see whether he should be prosecuted under hate crimes legislation, although as I read the legislation, uh, it, it's a hate crime if it incites people. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah and his didn't sound, uh, <laughs> pardon the pun, very insightful in more <laughs> ways than one. Um, and then yesterday he apologized, a tear-filled apology. Didn't quite fit with this issue, or this idea that we have, and perhaps it's a wrong, perhaps it's an, a stereotype and error, sort of the stoic Indian elder. I mean, here's this guy crying, and not, not that I have anything wrong with men crying, I don't at all. I, I thought it was quite moving and touching, but didn't expect to see that but as I listened to his apology he said how deeply he regretted having hurt people's feelings but I didn't hear much about you know I deeply regret that what I said wasn't true now I didn't see the whole thing did either of you guys see the whole apology no I no, saw I part, saw of part of it part of it yeah <laughs> but I but I did hear the initial comments that he made uh, they were on the radio on CBC the other night so uh, no it uh, it was very odd it was like, gee, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. Thanks. Goodbye. But, uh, somebody was saying that he must, uh, he must hang out with Trent Lott. The two of them... Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> the, one of the reasons I was anxious to talk to Jeff and Bob about this is be not only because of their political positions and their eloquence on this, but because Jeffrey is in the latest McLean's magazine and the letters to the editor about this very issue. Not these people, but this issue of apologies about the Prime Minister's aid. Yeah. And the point that you made in McLean's was... Well, that it's not enough just to say you're sorry, that you also have to say you're wrong. Uh, you know, that uh, there's a... F I, I, I'd love to know what Miss Manners would say about the fine art of the apology. And it's one of those things, you know, there's was that guy who wrote the book, uh, Robert Fulford, who wrote the book about everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. You know, we can tell when an apology works, when an apology is one that, uh, you know, is, is abject and that we accept it. But you get these finely crafted political apologies that just don't, uh, just don't uh, cut the mustard. And uh, to me, uh, there, there should be at least two things and ideally three the first is you need to apologize like crazy unreservedly uh, the second thing is you need to say everything I said was absolutely wrong and the third thing you need to do is sort of explain why you said it you know and unless you do those three things that I don't think you can expect anybody to really take you seriously and I noticed with uh, with David Hennecke yesterday that he read this apology and I'm thinking, you know, he didn't write this for mm -hmm. starters. You know that he, that a firestorm has hit. He's he, he's still at least uh, at last count was apparently the, the chair of the Senate. So no, I, I believe they've bounced him now. Okay, I so, believe they have. All right. So at the time he gave the apology, anyway, he's thinking, you know, my bacon's in the, uh, really in the grease here, and I've got to do something about it. And uh, so so obviously, when everything hit the fan, suddenly he's realized I got to go into damage control mode, and here's an obvious damage control uh, maneuver. But but there's no explanation for why he said what he said, and and, and he said it over and over and over again. In, in a lot of detail, in a lot of different ways, like uh, if, if he had been, been overheard saying some 
off-the-cuff remark, like the George Bush is a moron thing, it's one thing, but this guy was speaking to a reporter who had a tape recorder running, uh, you know, and went on and on and on about this stuff. Uh, so I, I'd love to know why the change, but my first thing is, I don't think he's sincere at all. I think he believes what he said the first go-round, and nothing has changed. Now, Bob, the reason I was glad you were here is because I wanted to the opportunity to ask you this question. I don't know whether you find his comments uh, 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 reprehensible or not, and that's not they the are. issue. But, but that's not the issue. That's why that's I make the point yeah. that I don't know. Uh, I don't know how you feel, and I don't care, because that's not the issue. Um, does he or does he not have the right to say what he said? Oh, absolutely. But, but having the right to say something does not mean that you have the right to avoid the social consequences of, of what you've said. That's, that's the whole object. There are, there are effects to our speech. And usually if we want to persuade people, for example, in politics, which is what people are doing all the time, they exercise their speech to get a certain reaction from certain kinds of people. Um, you know, the issue of giving an apology, if it's sincere, it has to come from the heart and it has to be in the sense that the person knows that they were wrong. You know, and I don't think that he believes he was wrong. I think he believes he was right about everything he said. And although I saw him see, you know, he, he was on the air saying he was apologizing for the pain he caused, you know, it was obvious it was o his own pain he was talking about. And, and you know, he's, he's, he's suffering tremendous repercussions from this without any criminal charges being laid against him or without any RCMP investigations or without any, you know, actual due process of law being used against him. He's going to use, he, he's lost his influence. He's lost his respect, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's a major, major factor. I don't know that whether that can be regained or not, but to me, I think it's all symptomatic of, you know, that whole type of thinking is a product of a collectivist mind, a mind that thinks in terms of people being first a member of a group and second an individual. And when you even have something like First Nations, there's one group. And it's not surprising he thinks of people in terms of groups, Palestinians and the Jews and this group and that group and Hitler and the Jews and the Germans, whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. He sees everyone as part of this great collective and that is a symptom of what I think where our government's going. Our government encourages that kind of thinking and then punishes it when it comes out in its raw form. You know, like, oh no, we can't actually let people see the, re the results of this philosophy that we're pushing on people, you know. And, and, like, we tend to tolerate all sorts of things because we call it culture when you're talking about a collective. And yet, when you look inside any culture, I saw wonderful um, I don't know who did it. I think it was actually on CBC, um, a, a, a documentary on the people of Iraq. They're normal people, Jim, like you and me. Mm -hmm. You know, some of them seem very educated, uh -huh. very understanding of the situation they're in. They are not the picture that is painted by a collective. When you look at the... And usually the collective is also identified by a political unit, mm -hmm. you know. So, so I do not judge a country by the fact that Hussein is there. No more than I judge the German people by the fact that Hitler was there, mm -hmm. or Mussolini, and you know, mm -hmm. whatever country you want to look at, and that's that. I think is the root of the whole problem: is that we have to think of each other as individuals, and there again is the flight from individual rights in this country to collective rights and group rights. All right, let me ask you this question then: It seems to me, because I'm I'm not a big fan of this so-called hate crimes legislation. No, I it, it smacks too much of Big Brother to to suit me. And it seems to me that we that that this case has been a perfect example of why we don't need it. That here's a guy who who said some very hateful things, and has been humbled publicly, almost overnight, by public outrage, not by the government, by members of his own community, the First Nations community, 
by members of the communities he slandered, who all came together in an almost immediate show of solidarity. It wasn't like, like the local Jewish organization was sitting over here by, by itself making call, phone calls saying this was terrible what this guy said. You know, they were in the same room and had been in the same rooms with the representatives of the First Nations community and some of the other ethnic communities that had been slandered. They all came together immediately, and they all said the same thing. They said, we can't have this in our society. We just can't because we don't believe this. We don't believe it about each other, and we don't want this guy or anybody else saying these sorts of things. Given that it appears that our, the community was very strong in its response, isn't that kind of an argument against the necessity for hate crimes legislation and Jeffrey you're a lawyer I'll ask you about that well I think that uh, that um, the interesting thing about human rights laws by definition or any any law that's supposed to um, fix a problem is that you hope one day that you don't need the law anymore and I think that 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 that, that, that time may come in relation to human <coughs> rights and and you know I guess hate crimes are sort of legislation is similar to a human rights type of law in the sense that the idea is that if you incite, incite retaliation or violence against a particular group, then you get in trouble. And uh, yeah, I think that you're right, that uh, attitudes have changed dramatically. This uh, reminds me of Trent Lott's line about, uh, you know, if uh, we wouldn't be in all this trouble if uh, if uh, uh, Strom Thurmond had become the president back in 1947 because we wouldn't have all this uh, desegregation going on, that uh, with the civil rights movement in the United States in the 60s and uh, sort of the way things have gone since then, I think that that the attitudes of the average person now are that this thing is just absolutely unacceptable. You just can't have it at all. Um, having said that, whether 30 years ago or 40 years ago, it would have had the same kind of reaction. I don't think so. But but I you know I, I'm one of these people that that uh, I think that you you swing the pendulum back to the middle, and once it gets there, maybe you don't need the law anymore. And I don't think the hate crime law is designed for somebody like this. I think it's designed for like uh, a neo-Nazi groups, those kinds of people, where it's hard to prosecute what they're doing. It may be something quite destructive. So you have this sort of Law that's who not, gets to not define so who's well. a neo-Nazi and well, that's who, the who, who's guilty of hate and that's things like that? It's like you a, know, they had to do with the mafia, where they where they brought in these laws dealing with uh, what was the RICO laws see, when those came in, where they're very broad, amorphous laws that could be abused quite badly, but they just can't seem to nail these guys any other way. Was it uh, with Al Capone? The only way they could nail him was for tax evasion. Yeah. You know, they couldn't get him for any of the other bad stuff he was doing because they couldn't get evidence of it. So it's a it's it's a law that's not the best, but I can sort of see why it's there. But it should leave. We're going to pause for a moment. We remind you that our lines are open at six four three twelve. 1290, star 1290 in the Rogers AT&T. If you'd like to join Jeff and Bob on left, right, and center, feel free to do so. This is Talk of the Town on News Talk 1290 CJBK, where interesting people talk and London listens. Bob Mesh, Jeff Slimmer, two pretty interesting people right here. and We've been talking. We hope you've been listening, too. This is Left, Right, and Center. I'm Jim Chapman. And we're talking about this... Uh, David Hennecke and uh, the sadness that uh, we Jim, all feel about that. There's, there's a very uncomfortable point that came up in the first half of, of, of the conversation when Jeff brought up the point that, you know, under any sort of hate crimes thinking or even in the proper addressing of, a, of, a, of an apology, you have to admit that you're wrong. Mm -hmm. um, are we going to say then it is illegal to be wrong about things? Is that, no, is that where we're going? Yeah. Or, or no. can we not say to people, you have a right to be wrong? I mean, we don't, we don't put people in jail who still believe in the Flat Earth Society. Yeah, and, I, and, I don't, and uh, I, I'm the one who said that the hate laws don't apply to this guy. You know, you're free to have your opinion, and I agree with you that the thing is that if you have an opinion that's an unpopular one, then you'll bear, bear some consequences for that. And, and, and that's something that, uh, if, you know, that's just part of the game, that uh, sometimes we have opinions that aren't in the majority and, and are not popular. Uh, so as long as you're willing to bear the social consequences, you should be 
be able to say what you want. But again, you see, again, yelling I think fire that what, what should have happened in this case, if, if, if this gentleman had the courage of his convictions, he should have come out swinging. Here's why I think what I said was right. But he shouldn't be this surprised if he gets believe, fired. Well, that's, that's a consequence of yeah. it. But, but he should have, if, if he really believed it and it was an issue, he should have gone with it. Well, and then it right. would have at least encouraged a debate. We so, so step away from these debates, you know, because there's a lot of people that think like that. But there's, and but we, there's, we there's not much to debate here, though. Like the guy, no, the guy well, was clearly had an overdose of Sudafed or something. Like, he just wasn't lucid. You know, people just don't talk like true, that but nobody, anymore. Nobody comes out and says, well, why is that kind of thinking wrong? Why is it wrong to think of people in groups and collectives and things like that? We don't talk about it because we continue to do it. We do it in, in normal politics. Well, so. <laughs> and I guess to some extent the problem would be that if you say, let's have a discussion, then you're legitimizing it and saying, well, you may have a valid point there, let's discuss it. Uh, well, I say would you say quite contrary. I say if you don't allow a discussion, you're giving it power beyond its absolute means in any way. As soon as you suppress something, well, it, it's it not just suppressed. fires up. It's, just, it's not that we're saying you can't say it. We're just saying if you say it, we're going to be pretty mad at you because you're really you're really uh, wrong and you're saying a lot of bad, hurtful stuff. And as Jim said, you know, that that's sort of the societal response that we as a community are saying that. So you don't need criminal laws. You don't need anything else. It's just like we're all going to be really mad at the guy and forget about him ever having elected office again. And well, yeah, he should lose his order example, of council or order of candidates as far as I'm concerned. There's a lot. There are a lot of offensive, quote, hate sites out there on the internet. Mm -hmm. And what some groups are trying to do, probably well-meaning, is to shut them down and mm -hmm. tell them, oh, you can't be online, you can't be saying these horrible things. To me, if they were going to put their efforts in some way and make their case so that it, so that it sounds like they're right and the other guy's wrong, is you refute what's on those, those mm -hmm. websites. Actually reprint everything they say and say, here is the facts, here is the reality. They don't do that, though. Mm -hmm. And by avoiding the debate and rushing into censorship or political correctness, to me that's a tremendous admission that they are wrong and that they should be the ones that should get up and have to admit that they're wrong. I mean, I don't think they're I wrong in this case. Well, well, <laughs> I don't no, think they are. No, but then again, you know... I have stated why I believe those comments were wrong because of yeah. this kind of thinking, but I don't hear that from anyone else. It doesn't come out and no one explicitly says it. But well, that's good. if you were a journalist, though, would you actually have, you know, Simon Wiesenthal come on and say, no, in fact, there were, you know, uh, crimes, you know, in fact, the Jews do not own uh, all, of, all of Germany. Do you actually have to rebut this what's stuff? A, like, it's all, just so clearly well, wrong. Well, I, well, I guess you do, because I'm telling you, the, the, the misinformation and the things that people believe out there are, are chronic. Yeah, don't you think to a certain extent people will believe what they want to believe? Even if oh, yes, yes. I mean, if, if there are people who want to believe that the Jews own Germany... Uh, oh, that the Earth is still flat. I mean, you're going to get that. Uh, okay. Then, then <laughs> are you, are you, do you accomplish anything by simply refuting those statements? Because they're not reading the statements anyway. Well, if they you care enough them. about those statements to want to ban them and censor them, then I think your obligation is to refute them. That's the only people I'm talking about. Most of us could care less. And the other I thing, mean, there is a value in, in at least providing a forum where they can say what they think, because if they think what they think and they act on what they think, but they don't actually say it, that's even scarier to me. But isn't that one of the dangers of the law, is it, 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 it constrains people? Yes. And, from and, you know, it's that classic thing about, uh, what do you say, you know, did I, did I say that or just think it? You know, did I say that out loud? That's right, or did mm -hmm. I just think that? And, yeah. you know, we had that, used to have that with judges where, uh, you know, we had judges uh, for the longest time who their, their main hangout was the London Club at a time when uh, the London Club did not allow Jews to be members, did not allow blacks to be members, did not allow women to be members. And we're talking about the 60s here, it's not mm -hmm. that long ago, the 70s for, for women. Um, you know, and these guys were going into court every day to make decisions where theoretically they were absolutely not biased in any way, they were absolutely colorblind, absolutely gender 
blinder, uh, blind and so on, but realistically they're eating in a place every day where nobody else could go, uh, you know, and supporting an organization that was pretty, pretty, uh, what do you call it exactly, but pretty exclusionary. Isn't there a parallel going on in the U.S. right now, almost on the same day? Wasn't there an American senator from Talk Arkansas who, who, was, who was apologizing on the yeah, same day yeah. as we're Hourly. having the same Hourly event happening in Canada? See how similar our countries are? Yeah. And, and part um, of the problem for him is that, is, you know, and again, it comes back to this thing about does it pass the smell test with the average Joe, you know? It's a, in his case, you know, it wasn't until they sort of went back and said, well, he said this before, you know, he's, he's, he supported Bob Joe's university that excluded blacks he's done these other things and that sort of starts to add up so that when he apologizes now and says no no you know uh, I like blacks some of my best friends are blacks it just doesn't pass the smell test and that's what gets him in trouble let's go to the phones here we've got Mark on the line going to join us and you're welcome to as well 643-1290 good morning Mark good morning um, I just wanted to throw one little thing out there it's sort of a comment uh, I, I think it sort of pertains to the, discuss to the discussion this morning yeah. um, in the news this week there was a, uh, a story about a firm uh, somewhere in Canada, and I don't think they were a manufacturer, I think they were an importer, and the, what they did was they imported these these devices, uh, they were some sort of exercise device, oh, and right, what they did was they uh, claimed that, you know, you were, you were going to buy this device and, and just use it very minimally, and all of a sudden you were going to have uh, rippled abs and six-pack stomach and, and whatnot, right. and, and the competition, competition bureau clamped down on them. You mean that's said, not going to happen to me? Yeah, I'm sending mine back, that's, that's <laughs> it. Yeah. But uh, what I found kind of disturbing, and I thought it sort of pertains to the discussion today, is that uh, they were fined, which I think is, is, is right, because they, they misled people in their advertising. But um, I think, if I remember the news correctly, they were going to be, uh, or they weren't allowed to sell this product anymore, which I found to be a very sort of overbearing punishment, because although... Um, I mean, most people look at these things and realize that the claims are exaggerated, and you guys just sort of joked about it there just now. But the fact of the matter is that if they're not allowed to sell this product, I think that's kind of an infringement on their on their rights. And it, it, I just think it's sort of parallel to the discussion this morning. Yeah, well, you're right, and and that's I remember back in law school the whole difference between a lie by in, in an ad versus what they called puffery, and you're you're perfectly allowed to sort of highlight the best qualities about your product and to sort of downplay the the worst qualities, but uh, on the other hand, you know, do you, do you let them sell it but say they have to have a disclaimer at the bottom saying you know warning this product has no value at all. Uh, now, having said that, I'm often surprised by the um, ad programs and so on. They'll have uh, Jenny Craig or whatever is come on and say, I lost 98 pounds, whatever. And at the bottom, there's a thing saying results not typical. Maybe that's the solution, though. You let them sell it, but have to have a disclaimer. Absolutely. They should be allowed to sell you a seashell down by the seashore if, you, if they want to. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, the issue is misrepresentation, and that's, of course... Uh, not it, it's subject under free speech there again that's something that free speech does not tolerate is misrepresentation because people create contracts based on that and then you can get caught in a contract based on a false premise and then you have all sorts of other negative consequences both individual and social so misrepresentation and fraud are go, go hand in hand with the use of force in a marketplace. But and do they do they warrant this company not being able to sell the product? No, anymore? they should be allowed to so. sell the product, but properly um, properly labeled, labeled and displayed to the public. Yes. Yeah, I, 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 I don't, don't mind that. that. Yeah, I think no. No, I think you're right. They should sell it in the toy department. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Mark. Appreciate it, sir. Uh, we've got about thirty seconds left. Fifteen to you, Bob. 
Well, I, I think, again, yes, this is a big tempest in a, in a teapot as far as the ultimate big picture is concerned. I think um, here again we've get, been given a perfect example of why legislation isn't necessary to take care of you know, the, the less popular and the least, or most objectionable, that's what I should say, opinions in society. Fifteen to you, Jeff? Well, I think it would be good for politicians once in a while to remember that they're people, too, and that you can tell when an apology is going to work, because, again, the other person will feel that they've been treated with respect and with honesty, and until politicians start to learn that, we're just not going to take these apologies seriously. They're just not, uh, not worth anything. Uh, they should go back to kindergarten and learn about uh, saying you're sorry. Uh, Jeff and Bob, Jeff Schlemmer, Bob Metz with us on today's Left, Right, and Center. You guys will be in for the Christmas party on Friday, I understand. Hope you betcha. So. To meet all your many fans. <laughs> so come on down and join us on Friday and meet Bob and Jeff. They'd love to meet you as well. This is Talk of the Town, 1290 CJBK. I wish them a Merry Christmas here, although I'll see them there. Merry Christmas to both of you and Happy yeah. New Year. Merry Christmas and Freedom's Greetings. Uh, we like that too. <laughs> uh, stay with us, folks. There's lots more to come this morning on News Talk 1290.